Well, thank you for those good memory verses, and uh, we want to come now to the book of Joshua in chapter 3 as we're resuming our studies in this, I trust, profitable time of considering the, the topic of being useful to the Lord. We've, we've titled it in kind of an inverted negative way for dramatic effect. Sometimes it wakes us up a little bit to think about it that way. Being saved from uselessness. And, of course, to be saved from uselessness is to be brought into a life of usefulness. And, and we've been talking about the, the privilege that's ours to make our life count for something. To get to the end of our particular course, our particular opportunity to live in this world, to breathe God's air and eat God's food and, and, and walk on His green earth and have something to show for it. At the end, do you want that for your life? I want that for my life, and I want that for your life. And we want that for the lives of others that we come into contact with. And so we're looking at this story. It's a true historical event. This is not some sort of uh, novel or something that somebody thought of. This is the Word of God. This is real history. The children of Israel. When they were delivered and brought out of Egypt. And we looked at those verses uh, last Sunday. I won't take the time in Exodus 6. But you remember that the Lord told Moses that he brought them out in order to do what? To bring them in. Right? Bringing them out of Egypt wasn't the whole picture of the gospel. The gospel is to bring them out that he might bring them in. That's in Exodus 6, verses 3 to 8. And, and that's the same gospel that's true for us. Hebrews chapter 4 says, The gospel was preached unto them, and now it's preached unto us. He has brought us out. Not just to do what we want. I mean, we're under grace. We've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are we doing about it? Are we just living like the world? Are we just trying to live a life of comfort and ease? Or are we really desiring of drawing near to God? Loving Him. Hiding His Word in our hearts. Wanting to serve Him. Wanting to love His people. Wanting to make our life count for something. By His strength and enablement, right? So we pick up with the story here in chapter 3 of Joshua. And of course, this is the great event that you're probably very familiar with. It's the crossing of the Jordan. This particular generation. Now you might recall... This is not the generation that first came out of Egypt that crossed the Red Sea because most of that generation died in the wilderness. Now, this is the children of that generation, and the Lord is bringing them into the promised land. And just to remind ourselves, because we looked at this already, both on Wednesday night and Friday night, but just to remind ourselves, you might want to hold your finger here and go back to the book of Numbers once again because I want you to know that I'm getting this from the Bible I'm not making this up. He says in Numbers verse, chapter 14, verse 20, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Moses had interceded for the people. But truly as I live, God says, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's going to happen. And that is happening. As his own people, as we were reminded from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning, as we live for the glory of the Lord, He is glorified on the earth. That's what our testimony individually and corporately seeks to do, to bring glory to God. 
Because all these men who have seen my glory, he's now, verse 22, speaking of the people that he brought out of Egypt through those, those mighty plagues and the wonders and miracles. He said, all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. So it's a sobering reminder, isn't it? You don't test God. You don't just take advantage of His grace and goodness. Because there comes a time. He's very long-suffering with us and with our weaknesses. If you don't believe that, we looked at Psalm 103 yesterday. Read Psalm 103. The Lord is abundant in pardon and mercy, but there comes a time if we continue to stiff-arm Him and push Him away. That there's a price to be paid, and that's what this generation found out. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers to give them. Any of those who rejected me shall not see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him. What kind of spirit, Lord? What kind of spirit are you looking for? A spirit that has followed me in what kind of a way? Fully, see? Holy, devoted to the Lord. And that's what we said on Friday night. That's what Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us about. That when we understand, it, do you believe God has been merciful to you? Do I believe He's been merciful to me? Well, in light of His mercy, Paul says, then we should respond to that by offering our bodies a living sacrifice to God. That is an arrowist tense, so it's a one-time, a point-in-time decision that has ongoing effects, but it's a point-in-time decision that we make as believers. He's writing to believers in Romans, isn't he? And these were some believers who hadn't done this. And there will be believers in this room, I'm sure, who haven't done that. And only you and the Lord know. But you have an opportunity maybe to think about these thoughts this week and think about your opportunity to serve the Lord. All that follows after Romans 12, the spiritual gifts, life in the body of Christ, the opportunity for evangelism and service, all that flows out from verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. And that order is important. If you want to know God's, I have young people come up to me, I want to know God's will for my life. If you want to know God's will for your life, the first thing we need to ask someone who comes to you like that, have you presented your body a living sacrifice yet? Because he's not going to reveal his will to you until you do that. According to Romans 12, why would he? We would just use it for the wrong thing. If he told us what our spiritual gift is, we'd use it for self. We'd use it for the world, maybe. Oh, he says, because I've been merciful to you, have you presented yourself a living, not a dead sacrifice now? We're thankful that's true. The animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were dead sacrifices, but a living sacrifice. And you say, well, why does he emphasize the body there? Because the body is what he uses to serve. Your eyes, your brain, your hands, your feet. That's the testimony. That's the life of service. It's done through a physical body, see? And that's got to be offered completely, totally, fully to Him. And if you don't 
trust him with your body yet. You need to focus on learning about him, his character, that he's trustworthy, that he doesn't abuse, he doesn't take advantage, he's always good. Psalm 119, God is good and always does good. Do you believe that? Even when bad things happen, or you think there are bad things in our lives, the devil will tell us, well, see, he's given up on you again. He's not reliable. Don't listen to that thought in your mind. It's a fiery dart from the wicked one, and it's a blasphemy against the character of God. He always does good, even when we don't understand it. We don't have to always understand him to believe in him, do we? No, he's reliable. He goes on to say in verse 27, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? God doesn't like it when we complain against Him. It's dishonoring to Him. That's what a lot of gossip is. It's complaining against God. And when a problem comes into our lives, instead of going to the Lord first in humble prayer, we get on the phone and call brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and whine and complain about God sometimes. Maybe oftentimes. And we need to check ourselves on that. We need to examine ourselves and stop that kind of behavior in the power of the Holy Spirit because it's not honoring to God. God does not like gossip. It's one of the sins that are recorded there in Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh are these. And gossip's one of them, along with all the other ones that we're so aware of. The use of the tongue, so important. I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. This is what we call talionic justice. As, as you've done, I will do to you. See, it's measured out accordingly. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness, and all of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, and Joshua. And Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 connects right to this passage, doesn't it? So it's referred to, we saw four different times in the Old Testament on Friday night where this is referred to. And then it's referred to in the New Testament, Hebrews 3 and 4. I would say the Lord is raising a red flag here. And then in verse 31, but your little ones. Now this is the generation we're reading about in Joshua chapter 3. Crossing over the Jordan. Your little ones, whom you said would be victims. You see, the people of this evil congregation he's referring to said, well, they were at Kadesh Barnea, about to cross into the land. They found out from the spy report that these walled cities were walled up to the heavens, and there were Anakim there. There were giants there, men and women that were 10 to 12 feet tall. We know that from the bedstead of King Og, recorded for us. So the, these, were, these were people that were formidable. And, of course, they, they continued in the lifetime of David. Remember, Goliath had two or three brothers like him. And so the people of the first generation taken out of Egypt said to one another and to God... You're going to take us into the land with that kind of opposition? What about our kids? You know what they were saying when they said that? 
We have more concern for our kids than God does. Imagine a God that would take us in there and leave our kids all exposed to all these dangers. See? So God reverses that, puts it right on, on its head. He says, it's your kids whom you said would be victims. They're the ones that will go in the land and you won't. You'll be judged by your own words, see. So that's the generation, and remember it said in verse 29, from 20 years old and above were the ones that didn't go, so from 19 and below, and now this is 38 years later, so they're, the oldest ones would be 57 years old. I don't think Malcolm's even 57 yet, so you can picture something around Malcolm's age and down, you know. This is who are given this opportunity to serve God in the promised land, the land that God had designed in his mind, the land that he says in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he says, my eyes are always on that land. Did you know that? He doesn't say that about any other land on the entire planet. It's the land that his son crossed back and forth through during his entire earthly ministry. He confined himself to that land willingly, purposely. And I believe God still has his eyes on that land. <laughs> and the world has its eyes on that land today. They're almost on the front page of every paper these days. And that, I believe, will continue to the rapture. And it will certainly continue after the rapture. We know that from the recorded record of Scripture. So we come to Joshua chapter 3. Then... Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. And, and we painted the picture, but just to remind us to paint the picture of the scene again, here they are, they're on the eastern bank. It's called the plains of Moab for a reason. That's where the territory of Moab was. People that were opposed to God. And they're coming up now to the eastern side of the Jordan River. And the, chapter 3 tells us the Jordan River is at flood stage. It's wide and it's fast moving all the way from the Sea of Galilee down to the Salt Sea. The Bible calls it the Salt Sea. People today call it the Dead Sea. I'm going to call it what the Bible calls it, the Salt Sea. And, and, it, and it was flowing at flood stage and it, you, it was... From a human standpoint, this was an impossible situation. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any impossible situations in your life today? There are times in our lives, maybe it only happens a few times in our lives, I'm thankful it doesn't happen too often because they're real tests of our faith, aren't they? When you come up to an impossible, what we see as an impossible situation, and a test, therefore, of what? Faith. Because we can't see. And, and we're not going to send spies ahead and try to predict the future. We're going to trust God. We're going to come up to the banks of our Jordan River and trust God to take us across and let Christ lead us across, aren't we? That's what we see here. So in verses 1 through 8, I would suggest is God's provision. And the God's provision is sacrifice. And the Ark of the Covenant, which is mentioned some 13 times, I think, 
in these two chapters, in chapters 3 and 4, we see then that God's provision is to see the ark for the people. See the ark and go after it. The ark of the covenant, then, which if you had, I think you've had the tabernacle here, right? The model and so forth. You know that that ark housed in it three things, right? What did it house in it? Aaron's rod that budded, a picture of resurrection and regeneration. What else? The law, right? Picture of the word of God hidden in the heart. And the manna, God's provision of sustenance and life from heaven. Miraculous provision. On the outside of the ark, you looked at that mercy seat and the gold cherubim with their wings spread out and It didn't look too golden by this time because they'd been casting a lot of blood, sprinkling blood on it during those years in the wilderness, see? And God says, that's my throne on earth. And it's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of Christ in His person and in His work on the cross, both. So the picture for us in the New Testament... And we'll look at some verses in Ephesians in a minute. Is to look at Christ and follow Him in all of our decisions. Because we're here for service. Amen? I mean, I know we have other things that we think about. Job, insurance, housing, all these kinds of things. But but we're here primarily, if you're a born-again Christian, you're here for service. God's provided everything you need to go straight to heaven right now. He could take us there. But he's left us here for service and testimony, just like they would be in the promised land. That's the picture. So the Jordan River isn't necessarily just a picture of salvation. It can be used as a picture of sanctification as well, can't it? Because it's the the generation that crossed the Red Sea has died. This is a generation that hasn't crossed the Red Sea yet. And they're going to go through a crossing too. A water crossing that is miraculously provided by God. Only this generation is going to get to go into the promised land, see. Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. God is in no hurry. Sometimes it's hard to wait on Him. Sometimes when things are not going according to our schedule, we want to scheme things ahead of Him. You know what happens when we do that? Failure. That's what I believe we've been seeing in chapters 1 and 2, what the Holy Spirit's been trying to tell us. Wait on God. But when he's ready to move, be ready to move. See, just like when they followed the Shekinah glory in the wilderness. Numbers chapter 10, when the, when the glory didn't lift, they didn't go. They stayed in camp. When the glory lifted, they were ready to go. That's the kind of fully holy following that God's looking for from you and me. So it was after three days that the officers went three days. Boy, why did they wait three days? God's not in a hurry. There was some heart preparation that needed to happen. Sanctify yourselves, he says. 
And they commanded the people, saying, When you see, this is verse 3, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, which is all prescribed in detail in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, right? Then you shall set out from your place and go after it. You see that in Joshua 3, 3? When you see, you shall set out and go after it. Great example, isn't it? And really not that hard to do. <laughs> but it takes faith. takes discipline. Remember, part of the fruit of the Spirit is discipline. Self-control is in that list. It's a word that many people today don't like to hear. But that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. God is not an author of confusion, but of order. Amen? And he wants that order in the assembly, and he wants that order in each one of our lives. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. So he says the ark, with the priests carrying it on their shoulders, goes on ahead. They are not to get... Near it, why? Because they might get ahead of God, see? But they're going to wait and let it lead them. And he says, the reason for you have not passed this way before. I am taking you, God says to the Israelites, into an area that you have not passed through before. This is all new to you. And you are going to be vulnerable. There's going to be opposition. There are going to be enemies. The interesting thing about it, when they get into the land, the Canaanites don't lay down their weapons, do they? Only one case, the Gibeonites, and then the Gibeonites deceived them. But the rest of them, they don't lay down their weapons. And you get in the book of Judges, they're still fighting them. And you get in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and they're still fighting them. The devil, he knows he's defeated, but he's done, he hasn't laid down his weapons, beloved. Do you know that? We know he's defeated, Colossians chapter 2 tells us. So he said, well then, I don't need the armor of God, I guess the devil's defeated. Is that right? No, we still need that armor because he's still fighting. That tells you how much pride Lucifer has. Even though he's defeated, he is not laying it down. He's going to fight God to the bitter end until he's put in the lake of fire. He's going to fight God. And maybe you know a human being like that. I know a few of them. And I pray for them. They can be saved. Right, Tony? You, me, others like that. We had a bad life too before. They can be saved. The gospel can reach anyone. But we recognize that there are forces of opposition to God. Now, I don't want to be... Some people, I've heard in an argument, say, well, well I want to take uh, the... How do they put it? You know, the devil's side in this argument. You know, let's take the... Well, the devil doesn't need any help in any arguments, beloved. Don't take his side. Take Christ's side. You don't need to be the devil's advocate. He, he advocates plenty for himself. He'd like you to be his advocate, but I don't want to be his advocate anymore. Do you? I used to be. I gave that up when I trusted Christ. Have you? And so, 
Joshua says to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonders among you. Oh, that's for sure. And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. The Ark goes on ahead. So they take up the Ark and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. And he does. That they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The Lord Jesus said, When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Didn't he? That cross, the Lord began to exalt the Lord Jesus. And he still is, isn't he? And that's why you and I share the gospel in the power of the gospel, not in our own power, not in our own cleverness. I'm not too fond of methodology. I just want to share and sow the word of God. Because I know that works. That's what the Holy Spirit promises to bless. It sounds simple. But this is pretty simple too, isn't it? We, well, we just think we can help God. You know, we, we, we have this... Adam nature that says, uh, yeah, God, you've got great wisdom, but I've got some too. Let me, let me supplement what your wisdom says. The Lord said to Joshua, you shall command the priests who bear the ark, verse 8, and when you come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you, did you notice that in verse 8? I never really saw this so clearly before. I mean, I'm picturing the, the ark and the priests, they're going across, but he says to Joshua, you! <laughs> shall stand in the Jordan. <laughs> and I'm sure Joshua, well, I'll just stand on the bank with the people. No, you shall stand in the Jordan. See, there's a step of faith. The Jordan's at flood stage still. And that brings us to verse 9, and I would suggest verse 9 of chapter 3 all the way through verse 14 of chapter 4 is an exhibition of God's power. So God's sacrifice or provision in verses 1 through 8 and His power in verses 9 through 4.14, verse 9, So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this event, you shall know that the living God is among you. Not the dead gods of the heathen, but the living God. And that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites. In other words, the occupants of the land who considered it to be their own, although they had been testified to for 400 years by the testimony of Abraham when he came into the land, right? So they knew it wasn't theirs. They knew it had been given to Abraham. And his offspring. But they're resisting God. Now, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the, the Holy Land, or maybe some of you have been there. I've had the privilege of being there several times. And it's, it's, it's an awesome place <laughs> to me. It is an awesome place to be. I remember coming into Ben-Gurion Airport at Tel Aviv and looking out the window. And looking, I said, I just had this feeling, Lord, I feel like I'm coming home. <laughs> I mean, I, I go home to my house in Houston, and it's just a little shack, but it's my home, and it feels good. But this was a different kind of feeling. 
I just felt like, Lord, I don't want to leave. <laughs> Let me just stay here like Peter, you know, we'll wreck three tabernacles and stay right here. The Lord had a different plan. But what the land looks like today is nothing compared to what it looked like then. Because the Turks came in in the 14 and 1500s and basically denuded almost all the hills and used that wood to build the railroads and to build a lot of the cities and took it back to Turkey and so forth all over the Ottoman Empire. And they ruled that land from 1517 to 1917, 400 years. The Ottoman Empire, the great Ottoman Empire, tried to conquer Europe and almost did, right? Stopped at Vienna, is that where it was? And so when they took away the trees, then the shrubs began to dry up, and then the erosion took place because the soil couldn't stay. And, and it's been so eroded from the, it was it was a lush green place, and these Canaanite nations they didn't want to leave. And guess what? Your flesh doesn't want to leave either. Oh, it got quiet. I didn't hear any amens that time. Were all of you glorified already? I, I haven't been glorified yet. The Bible says that the flesh is at enmity with God. Brother read from Romans 8 this morning. It can't do the law of God. It doesn't even want to. And it's in you. One brother wrote about the flesh, our old nature, as the Trojan horse. The enemy inside the gates. You know the story of the Trojan horse. They opened the gates and let it in the city. And of course the soldiers were inside. I know. It was Homer. Maybe it was fake. But but most of us had to read it in school. And most of us know about it. Well, what a picture of the flesh. The enemy inside the gate. You had the enemies outside. But when you, when you got the enemies on the inside, we better be alert to that. And all of us have it, so we're all in the same boat. We need to be understanding with one another too, and compassionate, and merciful, and helpful. Not attacking, not making fun, not gossiping, but praying and helping and pointing to scriptures that help each other. So Joshua says to the children, verse 9, Come here and hear the words of the Lord. Verse 11, Behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. He says that again in verse 13. I love it. The Lord of all the earth. He still is. Did you know that? The press doesn't say that He is. The press gives no acknowledgement of Him, does it? Do you ever see that on the billboards? Or your newspapers? you ever hear it at work or at school? No. He's been put out of his own universe. And to a certain extent, he's allowed it, hasn't he? But he has you and me as lights, salt and light in the world. See, I'm sure I'm sure glad I'm with the Lord of all the earth. How about you? You want to go back to that old life? You want to go back to Lucifer and his schemes and deceits? Not me. 
That, that's on the other side of the Jordan for me. I've crossed my Jordan. Have you? See, when you cross that Jordan, it went back to flood stage behind them. And, and guess what? That old life they left behind in the plains of Moab. And we have to too, see. So he says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from every tribe. Oh, no, here we go again. We've seen this before in Numbers 13. But this was what Moses did when he was putting together the cohort of the spies. But this isn't for spies now. And this is commanded clearly by the Lord, isn't it? He says, it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. That's power, isn't it? Any of you ever seen a flowing river like the Colorado River at flood stage? And the rapids and all of that, and how fast it moves? You ever seen how it pushes a car or pieces of a house or a building just by itself? I mean, that's power. And God just pushed it back upstream and said, excuse me, my people are going over. Beloved, that's the power it takes to save you and me. And that's the power it takes to sanctify you and me and make us useful in service too. Do you believe God has that power? Or do you think you still need to supplement it a little bit with your flesh? Oh, there's so much done today where the flesh is supplementing the work of God. And guess what? That's wood, hay, and stubble, according to 1 Corinthians 3. You're wasting your time. It won't show anything at the end. Wood, hay, and stubble in the fire, what happens to it? Ashes. Nothing left, see? Nothing to show for it. And so the Lord says, So it was when the people, verse 14, set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the ark. Boy, Lord, you keep telling us this. You, you really are driving this home. And as, as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, the feet of the priests, now they're walking up to it. It's at flood stage. They don't know. Joshua hasn't been written yet. They're not reading it like you and I are. We can kind of say, oh, um, yeah, this is that story again. No, they're looking. They don't know that when their feet touch the edge that it's going to go back. So this is faith, isn't it? Obedience to the plain commands of the Scriptures. Right? And what are we called to do as believers? Obedience to the plain commands of the Scriptures. It shouldn't be too hard, but it is. That's why there's so many denominations, so many different churches. It shouldn't be so hard. How many approaches to God are given in the New Testament? How many? Is, is there more than one? No, there's only one. And it's not that hard to figure out. So why all the... You see, the flesh wants to come in and supplement God's way. Add to it. Take from it. So the priests come and they, it's, they who bore the debt in the edge of the water. Verse 15, in the middle of the verse, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. The Holy Spirit reminds us. 
that the waters which came down from the upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. Now, some have said we might, shouldn't read too much into this. I think we have to be careful with typology. You know, we don't want to play around with the Word of God, read in things that aren't here. And I think with typology, my view of typology as I teach the Word of God is to restrict it to what the New Testament allows me to use. Because then I can validate it from the New Testament. And outside of that, it's speculation. But if the Word of God validates the type, then I'll go with it. That's my, because I have to answer to the Lord for that, and you have to answer to the Lord for how you use typology. But it is interesting, Adam's name is mentioned. It just happened to be a city named Adam, and the flow from Adam does need to be cut off, doesn't it? That's what our flesh is, a picture of the flesh. Could be. The city that's beside it is a literal city, too, besides Zaratan. And so the waters went down into the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea. This is what God calls it. That's called the Dead Sea today. And failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over. And the priest who bore the ark stood firm on what kind of ground? In verse 17. Dry ground. Wait a minute. You push waters back out of a seabed or a riverbed, it's not dry. You ever been in... In a lake, in a shallow area, uh, it, it is it's usually real soupy and, you know, you, almost like quicksand sometimes, right? It's not dry. So not only did he push the waters up, he dried the ground up. He thought of everything. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground. All Israel, until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. <laughs> and then chapter 4 just continues the story. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the Lord spoke to Joshua, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them to take for themselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan. So there were stones down in the riverbed. They picked them up, put them on their shoulder, and take them to the western side and set them down. They don't carve them. They don't make a monument. don't make a totem pole out of it or anything like that. See, they just take 12 stones and put them there as a marker. We're going to look at that a little bit tonight, how important markers are in our life. And it's a reminder to them of what God did. And he says, the reason I'm asking you to do this, he says that when the children, your children and your grandchildren, come to you and say, Papa, what are these stones here for? See, the children didn't see the Lord dry up the Jordan River. Now they're going on the record of history, what their parents taught them and their grandparents. Hey, what are these stones for? And you are to tell them, he says. You are to be a witness of my power to them. And it's harder for them, isn't it? See, we live by faith, not by sight. The generation that saw the Lord push back the waters of Jordan, that was a privilege for them. They saw. They had faith plus sight. But their children didn't see it. And their grandchildren, when you get to the life of David, he long past didn't see it. God only did it the one time. The cross happened 2,000 years ago almost in 2030. Can you imagine? 2030 is right around the corner. 15 years from this January. We'll be in 2030. 
2,000 years of church history. The cross and the resurrection happened and you and I didn't see it. Did you see it? Did you see it? I didn't see it. But I believe it. Because it's in the Word of God. But the same faith it took me to believe the cross event in my sanctify or my salvation is the same faith it takes for me to live in sanctification and service for God. See? We're sanctified by faith too. In the Word of God. So lastly, thirdly, in verses fifteen to twenty four wraps up the story of this portion of the story in Joshua 4. The Lord then commands the priest to leave the riverbed and the waters immediately. Verse 17, he's saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priest who bore the ark of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. (laughs) (laughs) their feet are just on dry land and here it comes I mean I don't know whether it's a wall of water the scriptures don't tell us you know we sometimes see that on the news you know in Arizona and dry places like that when they have these flash floods it's totally dry riverbed and then this wall of water is coming down because it's rained miles upstream and you didn't and you weren't even in the rain where did the water come from people camp in the riverbed you know because it's a nice Smooth place, soft sand, good on your back in that tent. And when all of a sudden, here comes that water. See, many people died that way. Here it comes. And the people came up from the Jordan, verse 19, on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. They're over. They're in the land for the first time in their history. Well, Time has run out for me to show you. Maybe I'll show you a little bit tonight. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, talk about being delivered. Well, we were dead in trespasses and sins and made alive together with Christ to sit with Him in heavenly places. That's a pretty big transformation, isn't it? Does that take the power of God? Yeah. And it says in chapter... 2 verse 10 he says and we are his workmanship now workmanship is the word in my New King James Bible but the Greek word is poema we get our English word poem from it and a poem is usually something that someone sometimes uses as a masterpiece something that you've worked real hard on and if it's really a good poem we talk about them as masterpieces don't we I've got a book of Oxford English poetry, you know, and that my mom gave me. And there, I like some of the poems that are in there. But a masterpiece. We are His masterpiece. You are. That's huge, isn't it? Created in Christ Jesus. That's regeneration. That's the new birth. Created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto good works. Service, testimony for him in this world that he prepared beforehand, before the foundations of the earth, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 1, that we might do them and honor him to the glory of God. 
Are you interested in living to the glory of God? If you're here this morning and you've heard this and you think of this as maybe just all story and it doesn't make sense to you, the message we want to say to you today, now, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe that He died for you. He took your judgment upon Himself that you might be set free from that judgment and spend eternity with Him. And the Bible says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's an element in which He wants a response from us. We need to ask Him. We need to call. Have you done that? See, we can do, you can do that right where you're seated. You can talk to some of us after the meeting and we'll happily lead you in prayer if that's what your preference is. You can do it at home in the privacy of your own home. It doesn't matter what posture you're in. Some people do it on their knees. Some people do it while they're seated. Some people do it while they're standing. Some people do it while they're driving. Right, brother? Brother Ron was telling you what you were driving, right, brother, and your daughter. Yeah, doesn't matter. The key is you call on the name of the Lord and the promises you shall be saved. For those of us who are saved, God wants us to be fruitful. But we've got to come His way, don't we? Are you satisfied with His way? You think you need to supplement it? I know you're being bombarded right and left all over the place with the supplements that are needed. There are good supplements that brother talks about right in terms of dietary supplements but they're not any good supplements when it comes to the word of god the word of god is sufficient christ is sufficient amen so father we thank you we bow before you the god of all the earth the lord of all the earth if we may we humbly bow before you because you are great and mighty and we are your creatures and you are worthy of such reverence. It's not because of righteous works which we have done, but because of your mercy you saved us. We don't come on our own merit because we recognize you saved us by grace, not by works. And we thank you for it, Lord. Where would we be without your love and your grace? Your mercy. Oh, how we need your mercy. And we fail you every day, every week. We need your mercy, and we need to examine ourselves and stay close to you, confessing those things and being renewed daily by the Holy Spirit using the Word of God. Lord, I want this testimony to prosper. I want the people that compose this testimony to be fruitful let's pray together and agree together on that there have been trying things there have been testing things and there will be more of them that come very likely the key will be the response how we respond may we intercede for one another Christ is sufficient all we need for life and godliness is in Him. As you believed in Jesus Christ, so walk ye 
in him. May he receive the glory and the honor, Lord. Whatever time you give us to testify and serve you, what a privilege. Receive our prayer and act according to the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.